The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back to episode 80 of the Practice of Being Seen podcast. The Popscast is a collection of weekly connectfulness conversations where we examine how to create deeply restorative ripples of transformation within ourselves and with the world around us. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and mentor to therapist changemakers. Many people feel they can't be themselves in relationship, either because of society's pressure on them to be and act a certain way, or the pressure they feel from a significant other who demands that they be something other than their true self. In this episode, we're talking about releasing shame and reclaiming desire with Ariel Brown, so that our intimate relationships can allow for more alignment between our inner self and our outer reality. Ariel is a relationship coach and intimacy educator based in the San Francisco Bay Area. She helps visionaries craft intimate relationships with conscious design so they can truly bring their voice and their impact into the world. She says the key is connecting and communicating our desires in ways that release shame and self-doubt and transmit our gifts. Gender conditioning is one of the obstacles that all of us face. We can't share our gifts when we live with the fear of losing love and having to fit ourselves into boxes of appropriateness. Often, women believe that they need to shape themselves into something that they're not. And Ariel asks the question, who am I and how do I release the fear of how other people perceive me? She says that doing this kind of work is the only way that we can change the current culture around relationships and intimacy. This conversation also covers simple and practical ways to play with relationship in ways that allow for full expression of self. We discuss how to find a balance between controlling desires and the art of being in command of them. Ariel shares her approach to communicate openly and shift dynamics around intimacy. Connecting deeper and exploring intimacy requires self-love and compassion. We all could use more of that. Dive in with us. Welcome back to the Practice of Being Seen podcast. I'm joined today by Arielle Brown. Arielle, hello and welcome. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. We've been connected online for a little while and the energy that you bring into conversation and the conversations that you've been bringing forth have inspired me to ask you to join me here on the podcast and connect with me today. Mm, Thank you. I appreciate that reflection. Tell our listeners a little bit about your work. I know when we were talking about it before we started, it's deeply connected to the work that I'm doing as well. And I just, I know you work with a lot of change makers and I thought this would be a great place for us to start. Beautiful. Well, yes. So while I do work with people of all genders, cis men, cis women, trans, I find that I majoritively attract women visionaries who are wanting to learn how to craft their intimate relationships by conscious design so they can truly bring their voice and their impact into the world. So this is really about learning how to find approval for connect to and communicate our desires in such a way that we release shame, release self-doubt, and are able to really transmit our gifts into the world. Mm, I love that. What do you find to be the biggest obstacles that women or people in general have in terms of transmitting and sharing their gifts with the world? 
women and people, it's interesting, you know, there's the subtle conditioning that each gender has to kind of like overcome their own challenges. And then there's just the human challenge in general. The human challenge is that ultimately our greatest fear is a fear of rejection and losing love. And we are so conditioned to avoid abandonment, rejection, and losing love, that we're conditioned to do everything we can to fit ourselves into a box of appropriateness based upon who we believe this person across from us wants us to be. And then take that to the experience of a woman, our gender conditioning, our particular flavor of challenge to overcome is that from such a young age, little girls are watching Disney movies telling us that, you know, we're damsels in distress that needs saving and that that's actually attractive to our Prince Charming, that there's something about being a damsel in distress that can't save herself from her own circumstances. And then we're conditioned to believe that, you know, the story ends after we find our perfect mate. And what winds up happening is that even incredibly, you know, feminist, empowered, independent women underneath, there often is this deep underlying drive to embody who do I need to become? Who do I need to shape myself into in order to attract the ideal man and kind of just have my happy ending? And that conditioning is one of the greatest challenges that I see for women around how do we instead just show up as who am I and what do I truly desire on a deep level when I release the fear of what other people think and how they perceive me? That's a big statement right there. I want to like slow it down. Who am I and how do I release the fear of how other people perceive me? And I know I didn't capture everything you just said in there, but that's what I was able to bring back. So yes. let's, let's dive in there a little bit because that's a life's work. It is a life's work, and I feel blessed in that I have created a life for myself where I can devote myself to that personal inquiry. And where I'm at in my work is that it's not just personal inquiry anymore. It's a realization on a deep internal and external level that it is absolutely essential that we, especially as visionaries, do this work because it's the only way that we can actually change our communities and our cultures. Sure. Right. Well, starts with us. Mm -hmm. So take us into your journey a little bit. Where did it begin and where is it now? Beautiful. So I will do my best to have this story um, cover all the relevant points without being too unnecessarily long. Um, so where my journey really started was in college. And during most of high school, I was very introverted. My parents got divorced when I was 10 years old. I was incredibly close with my father and the divorce wound up kind of obviously separating my parents and also creating a great disconnect between me and my mother and me and my father. And it really had me kind of move inward for a lot of my younger years. I always kind of felt like the outcast. I kept to myself and really utilized food as a kind of a coping mechanism for me. I would come home and like snacks and sweets were really a way for me to kind of like check out from the world and cope. And what really started to catalyze, you know, my journey was going to college and immediately feeling the impact of a hookup culture and the need 
to look a certain way and like a strong desire to have sex with men because I believed that to have sex with men meant that they would fall in love with me. I had no experience of dating in high school. So college was really the experience of having sex with a whole lot of men in a way that felt really disconnected and not actually advocating or even knowing how to feel for and communicate my pleasure and my desire. So I wound up having a lot of empty sex in circumstances where I couldn't even really fall asleep in the bed afterwards because I was so afraid of relaxing around this person that I just shared my body with. And coupling that with having pretty intense negative body image, you know, I'd always had a couple of extra pounds on me throughout high school, but because I was so disconnected from the idea of dating, I didn't really have an issue with my weight. But once I got into college, I was so aware of my weight and it wound up sending me into this intense spiral of negative body image, binge eating and chronic dieting. So really just seeing in college how I was obsessed with the shape of my body. I was obsessed with men wanting to have sex with me and would spend evenings in my bed at night thinking, oh my God, no one's ever going to love me. So we fast forward that, got out of college, I was a major in psychology and philosophy on the East Coast. And while I was in school, I was also a pastry chef at a restaurant I was serving at and totally turned on by the food industry. So moved out to California, went to culinary school, was still struggling with negative body image and eventually got to this point you know, a couple of years later where I was working at this organic cafe and eating all the pastries by day and coming home and feeling all the shame by night, Mm -hmm. trying to fit myself into a size six pair of jeans that one night I just went from trying to fit myself in to trying to rip them to shreds with my thighs. (laughs) And, you know, having this realization of, you know, like this thing that I've been trying to fit myself into, I actually hate. And I named it and at that point changed my path from pursuing culinary industry to typing food psychology into Google and finding the Institute for the Psychology of Eating where I got my first coaching certification and really looking at how our relationship to food and our body and to how we receive pleasure and nourishment is related to how we engage in our lives And that was round one of Ariel waking up and fast forward to what brings me into the work I do because I call myself an intimacy coach. There's so much to it, but the easiest thing to call myself as an intimacy coach and facilitator. But, you know, for most of my early 20s, along with struggles with negative body image, I got myself into a lot of what I would call emotionally abusive and toxic relationships where I kept getting into relationships with men where um, they were either incredibly possessive of me, terrified of losing me, required all of my attention and would continually pull me away from the things that I was incredibly passionate about. You know, I was always like, I'm an incredibly intelligent woman, incredibly passionate woman, inspired woman. But what would happen is I would get myself into these relationships where I was so obsessed with the idea of finding my prince charming that I would ignore the fact that this is actually pulling me farther and farther away from the reality like that my soul wanted me to be in. You weren't listening to your intuition. I wasn't listening to my intuition because instead I was listening to my conditioning. And 
I got myself out of those relationships and yet found myself probably about five years ago in a relationship with a really beautiful man who also had bipolar disorder and spent most of his time in a depressive state. And I got myself to this place where I realized, like, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. And I've never actually had a sexual relationship where I have been genuinely satisfied, where like my pleasure and my body have been fully acknowledged, fully turned on and realized that, you know, while I could blame the men that I've been with, and I've been with many, the common denominator is me. And if I want to shift the way that I experience intimacy, which part of the reason I so value the experience of sex is because it's one of the most vulnerable venues for being in our body and being who we are, that I'm going to need to do this inner exploration for myself, which took me. Thank you. You know, whenever I think of intimacy and I talk about intimacy a lot in my work, I always break it down into, you know, into me, I see Mm. intimacy. It's a deep personal inner journey that we then share outwardly. Mm. I 100% agree. It sounded like you were going there. Yep. And that's, you know, it took me into several different modalities of exploring my sexuality and really getting into both doing private work with people and also facilitating groups that invite us into seeing what is possible in our life and how do we shift the world that we create when we start to prioritize connection with self and authentic, transparent connection. What have you found? Well, what I found is the more that I get connected to what I truly desire on a bodily level, meaning what is my yes and what is my no, which we can only access when we release shame, because shame actually keeps us disconnected from feeling what our authentic desires and needs are. What I found is that the more in tune I get with who I am and what I want, the more I attract experiences and people and opportunities into my life that are in alignment with who I really am. And so much of the work that I do is about alignment. It's about resonance. It's about that we're constantly emitting a certain vibration, a frequency, an energy that's in alignment with what our belief systems are about who we are and what we want. And as I create more and more alignment between who I am and how I present myself in the world, the more simple to say magic that I attract into my life because I'm in resonance, I'm in alignment. We attract that resonance from a place of being grounded in ourselves. Yes, It's like we release the need to filter our experience through someone else's perspective. So you were talking a minute ago about releasing shame. And now you're talking about releasing this need to filter our experiences through someone else's perspective. Mm -hmm. How do you get there? How did you get there? And how do you help the people you work with go there? Mm, That's a really beautiful question. Oh, there's different places here. So what really started my journey was one of the, well, actually one of the meditation practices that I cultivated along my sexual healing path that creates a safe container for a woman to receive pleasure to the genital area without any need to reciprocate. So it's a very structured practice of receiving for 15 minutes with no goal other than to just notice the sensations that arise in the body 
what feels good, what doesn't feel good. And in those moments, how can you actually advocate and ask for what you want and release whatever fear exists around asking for it? And you're taking away the need to do anything other than receive. Exactly. And what this did for me was actually create a space where I could fill up my body, so to speak, because so much of my life had been spent trying to figure out what do I need to do for this person in order to get them to love me. So cultivating this practice um, is a big part of what helped drop me into my body. I'm just curious in terms of cultivating this practice, it's not a practice you do by yourself. It's a practice you include a partner in. So Mm -hmm. there's a piece we might be skipping over about including your partner, about getting them on the same page. Oh, it's, it's 100% essential. And I have a feeling a lot of people on the call will be like, what, but I want to release shame, but I don't want to do a partnered stroking practice. <laughs> you know, that just sounds a little overwhelming. And for many people, it is. I tend to be an intense human being who goes all the way. But that being said, we can take this practice and apply it to creating a space for us to genuinely feel our emotional experience. And this is a lot of the work that I do with my clients. And it's a lot of how I teach couples to create this space where they can actually create alignment and release shame with each other. So what does it look like? It looks like in the moments where we want to disconnect from our partner or from any intimate person in our life, in the moment where things get uncomfortable because we're being confronted with an aspect of ourselves that we hold shame for, or we're afraid that if we bring this thing up that it's going to rock the boat and we're going to lose love. Instead, in those moments, it is about creating a space where the most important thing is being genuinely honest about what is true for you in the moment. And starting to realize that in those moments where we think that the worst thing we could possibly do is be honest, is that that is the thing that we must do in order to create deeper intimacy with the person across from us and also to establish deeper levels of trust and connection with self. I'm not disagreeing with any of this. And yet I know with the people I work with, getting to this place of being honest is a courageous and bold act and it can take a lot of work to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, the first thing I was going to say, well, that's one of my superpowers. Like when people, you know, describe to me what my superpower is, is I'm an approval machine. I have an amazing way of creating a space where people can feel totally at ease to be the total messy humanity of who they are. So that's a big part of what my private coaching work is. I create a space that people can actually realize the beauty of their imperfection and release shame. And it's a big part of what the community work that I do is as well, facilitating community and group experiences where people learn how to dip their toe into vulnerability. I'm pausing and just kind of thinking this through a little bit, because as I understand it, you're holding a space and you're giving people an opportunity to practice being vulnerable with you, within your community. But then they take that into their lives. Mm -hmm. Much of my work also begins within a space that I'm holding and I'm creating. 
it's the in between. <laughs> it's the stuff that happens outside of the working with me or outside of the working with you or outside of the community that they're a part of. It's the stuff that happens in their intimate spaces that really transforms their lives. Mm-hmm. This is a big part of the work. You know, one of the conversations that I have both in the groups and my private coaching work is that this way of being is not the norm. You know, we're conditioned by society to avoid this level of depth, to, to stigmatize it, to make it weird, to judge it, to shame it. And one of the most courageous acts that we can do when we start cultivating this practice is to hold this depth of connection, even when the person across from you wants to make it wrong. Because what happens is in those moments where it's like the person who is willing to hold the deepest level of connection is essential because if another person gets uncomfortable, it's easy for us to start doubting ourselves, And this is where a lot of the coaching work that I do is with people. Like a lot of women that I tend to attract are women that are in relationship and have been lying to themselves and to their partners for a very long time about what they actually want in order to be truly happy. And it is such a courageous and consistent act on the part of these women to care enough about their truth to lean in and have these uncomfortable conversations over and over again with their partners to create a new norm. But you are 100% correct in that it is an act of courage. And that's why my clients are visionaries. They are change makers. This work, especially when you're doing it on a private coaching level, is not for everyone, but it's absolutely essential for them to feel the magic and the potential that is available when we choose to hold this space. And that's why it becomes worth it to them because of the magic that can be available in this space. You know, I don't know about you, but I find that with a lot of the couples and the women that find their way into my office who are needing to release a lot of shame, there's often a lot of trauma. There's often a lot of old stories that have, aside from just the princess fairy tales and the stories about the way we should be in the world. There's other stuff in there that makes it murky. Goodness, 100%. I'm thinking about a client of mine who's a, an amazing women's sexual empowerment coach. And, you know, she comes out of, you know, a lot of sexual abuse for men in her life that she would have really loved to be able to trust. And a lot of the conditioning and the storytelling that goes on in women is that it's not safe for me to be in my power. It's not safe for me to be in my sensuality. It's unsafe for me to be a sexual being, you know, and unfortunately, like our sexual essence is our life force. It's our creative energy. But women have been told that it's not appropriate or safe to embody these things. And for a lot of women, it's actually been proven on a physical material level that it's not safe. So a lot of the work that I do is looking at where we as women are carrying old stories around who I can be based upon what is safe and really checking in around like, is that an outdated story? Like, are you carrying around old belief systems that aren't based in your present reality anymore? And what is it going to take to start shifting the narrative? And sometimes there's some trauma healing that's needed there. And sometimes it's 
a re-narration, something that isn't quite as loaded, where it's about taking back the power. Mm -hmm. Ah, Yes. A lot of the work that I do with women is looking at where we are on some level energetically carrying the energy of a victim. And it's very easy to do in our culture because it's almost shoved down our throats. And if we follow the philosophy that I was speaking to earlier, that our thoughts and the energy and vibration connected with our thoughts create our reality. If there is an area of our life where we have felt a victim or at effect of our surroundings, we're sending out a certain energy that can seek to perpetuate that. So a big part of it is really looking at like, where are we carrying underlying beliefs that undermine the power that we are seeking to embrace and cultivate in our lives? What kind of beliefs are you referring to? I'm guessing that you see a range and you see some of them repetitively. So there must be some beliefs that are kind of a collective that you can bring some light to. Yeah, that's a beautiful question. I think one of the greatest ways that that what I just described shows up is women feeling like they can't say no. A lot of the work that I do, like, and this is for any human being, is getting really clear on what our boundaries are. And so often what I see happening is that we as women, because we have such experience of feeling unheard, thought of as too sensitive or just people not caring about what we want, that we are carrying around the belief that we're not allowed to say no or that our no won't be heard. So what so often happens that I see is that we as women will allow things to happen to us that our soul actually doesn't want, but because in the past our no has not been honored, there's a lot of resistance built up against advocating for ourselves because of the fear of you know having to face the pain of actually standing up for ourselves and being cut down or shut down. So a big part of the work that I do with women in particular is looking at like what our fear is around saying no and where on a deep level do we feel that our desires are not a priority to the people in our lives or to the universe or to God. Or to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Yeah. And so then I know that another place your work takes you, and this feels related to me, is in terms of talking about liberation, to break out of this space and into a space of a different possibility. Yes. And I'll share what that's looked like in my own life. So for me, I was a serial monogamist for most of my young adult life. And this, I want to clarify that this is my own personal journey. And I do not assume to believe that there is any one correct approach to relationship. The only thing that makes it correct is that it's authentic to the person that I'm speaking to. And for me, my path to liberation has been moving out of the model of monogamy and instead embracing an approach of non-monogamy, where when I don't immediately choose monogamy, meaning only having sexual intimacy with one person, what do my intimate relationships with men look like? So, for example, for me, I have a primary partnership with one of the most amazing men that I've ever met. And together, we are committed to liberating ourselves from all the places where we shut down our ability to connect with other people because of what society has told us is socially appropriate in intimate relationship. So, I have different types of intimate relationships with different men and different women. 
And the key is being incredibly honest and connected about the why and the who with my primary partner. And for me, this has been an amazing practice at looking at all the places where I have shame for the depth of my desire, for my capacity to love, and my ability to be completely honest and transparent around what's true for me, regardless of how I feel the person across from me is going to respond. And what that's done for me is create a space where I can actually liberate myself as a woman and all the places where I feel that society and family and culture has conditioned me to believe that I need to shut myself down in order to be appropriate and conform and a good woman. So you found what works for you. Exactly. You know, this has taken a lot of introspection, a lot of your own. There's a lot of work that we're we're not getting to in terms of your own inner journey. Mm-hmm. I know that for a lot of people who practice non-monogamy, it's not an easy practice. It's a very no. deep practice. It's a practice of really, really knowing yourself, really knowing your boundaries, and really being able to assert that knowing in healthy communication, that a healthy non-monogamous relationship doesn't occur without really good communication in place. 100%. (laughs) And that tends to be one of the biggest misconceptions and judgments about, you know, open relating and polyamory. And I consider myself to be a novice here, but, you know, I think there's a lot of judgment that it can be used as an escape or an avoidance of intimacy, which I feel that most certainly can. But I also consider it a spiritual practice in a lot of ways. I've not seen it go well when it's used in an avoidant way. I've seen it go well when it's used in a really conscious way in terms of a deep practice of intimacy and of communication. But I've personally in my practice have found that the couples, the people, the relationships that effectively practice non-monogamy, the individuals are well differentiated, that they are really able to assert who they are and they stand from a solid place that has to come first in order to have a healthy non-monogamous relationship. 100%. And this ties it back to the type of person that I work with. I work with women visionaries who are in a place where they're realizing they need to craft their intimate relationships in alignment with their desires and their purpose. Because if we are not individuated in our intimate relationships, inevitably, we are going to cut off aspects of ourselves that are actually essential to us fulfilling our purpose in this world. All right. So go a little deeper into this with me because I find this too. I work with a lot of change makers and therapists and visionaries and the more I work with them individually and work on what their visions are and dive into that, the more I see a need for also working with them in their partnerships. 100% because here's the thing about visionaries. Visionaries don't exist in a box. Like visionaries are actually about looking at the box that is currently existing in our culture seeing if that it's not working and their unique configuration, their soul's essence is meant to bring something new into the world, something that doesn't currently exist, something that's outside of the box. However, intimate relationship, quote unquote, romantic relationship, which I don't even really like using the term romantic because romantic is very much a box. Well, it's a Um, setup. 
it's a setup. It's a setup because there's nothing that I have personally or professionally found about intimacy that really is pretty. <laughs> it's pretty darn messy, isn't it? It's super messy. And, you know, to your question, if we feel trapped in the box of relationship and mo- like a lot of us, like usually visionaries will f- realize they feel trapped, but I would say 90% of modern day, you know, culture doesn't even realize how in a box we have fit ourselves into in order to quote unquote, make our relationships work. And if we as visionaries, you know, it's easy to feel free when we're single, but when we are in relationship, it is so easy to fall into the conditioning of like, oh, well, I can't be all of myself because then it won't work for what I've been told I need to fit into in relationship. And in the places where visionaries need to be like their inspired, like intuitive, impulsive self because it's their outside-of-the-box nature that is the visionary in them. If we repress that in order to, quote-unquote, make our relationships work, then, like, our genius will never hit the canvas of reality. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And also, I so believe that there's a way to hold both. Oh, 100%. You know, that when we can play with our partnerships, our relationships in ways that allow us to express ourselves fully, that there are times for negotiations, but there's also space and room to be fully who we are. I do find someone who lives my life in a heteronormative monogamous relationship with two small beings in our care, that my ability to be impulsive about things is definitely one of the things that I don't know so much if it's in a box, but it's tempered. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I could feel the word impulsive. I was like, is that the word that I want to use? And I appreciate you bringing that up because it's really about being able to trust our natural inclinations and desires without shutting them down. I find this is important to stress is that we can trust and not shut down something. And also, that's the holding both, the end also. We can trust it and not shut it down and also temper it in this moment until it finds its time and place. Yes. Yes, which is, to me, the difference between controlling our desires and being in command of them or having a composure around them, which in itself is an art form. It is. One of the pieces I wanted to add in is I'm not an advocate for non-monogamy. You know, a bunch of the clients that I have are in monogamous relationship. And within the context of that, regardless of what form of relationship that we use, one of the most important things that I found to create this freedom within relationship is the ability to be present in the places where we get triggered. And I know for myself and my relationship, learning to navigate that terrain where we want to fall into fear and conditioning, it's been learning how to stay leaned in and connected in the moments where all we want to do is check out 
that is where the greatest breakthroughs occur so that whether we're in monogamous relationship or any other form, we can start breaking through the limitations of our own conditioning. I agree with you. As I coach and mentor my therapy clients through this process, it takes a long time. (laughs) It's so easy to say these things and it takes a lot to put it into practice. So I'm curious if you have any little gems of wisdom that you want to share with our listeners about Mm. putting it into practice. Mm, I'm going to feel into a recent. Yeah, maybe I'm kind of thinking about where to start because there's a lot of advanced practices around this conscious relating, but there's certainly practices that we all kind of start with. In my work, I often start with noticing and my clients often look at me and say, okay, give me something more active. Like, what do you mean? And I literally try to slow them down and say, no, like we need to just simply start with noticing what that feels like inside your body. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a beautiful one. And to add on to that, what I would say is, you know, similar to when like whether we're working on communication styles or working on, you know, sexual experiences in the bedroom. Like you'll often hear people say, oh, don't talk about your sex issues while you're having sex. So similarly, like... When's a better time? (laughs) When is a a better time? I mean, when when else are you there and you can be like, wait, that thing you're doing didn't feel good. Can we try it like this? Well, so, uh, (laughs) yes. So I, and this is something that my partner says a lot. It's like, I want you to tell me in the moment so that way I can actually bookmark it. But for example... Let's say we're, you know, like I say something to my partner and he gets super triggered. In that moment, it's hard for a person to actually be really present. And what I say to my clients in this way is like, you two are allies for each other. So when you're not actually in the trigger, you know, maybe it's a day later, maybe it's, you know, a time when you both are really in a good place and you want to drop in around how do I act, we actually shift the way this dynamic plays out for us. So a question that I'll support my clients and asking each other is like in the moments when I am triggered, what can you say or what can you do to support this person to come back into a place of consciousness and connection? For some, it might be like, hey, when I'm feeling triggered, could you say, hey, like, why don't we take 10 minutes to just breathe and then come back together? Or, hey, like when I'm triggered, could you say this because it'll help bring me out of it? Mm -hmm. So realizing that we're actually in this together, supporting each other in our own growth and our own liberation. You know, this brings me into two places that some of whom I consider some really great, wise relationship experts talk Mm -hmm. about often. Terry Real often talks about the importance of taking breaks, the importance of slowing things down and taking timeouts. And I'm hearing you talk about that as one of your examples. And then the other thing I'm hearing you mention in here, that's something that Stan Tatkin talks about often. He would say that we need to know, are we in this foxhole together and do we have each other's backs or are we fighting each other in this foxhole? Yes. What comes to mind for me when you talk about this is one of the four agreements, which is to not take anything personally. And what often happens is, you know, they say that it's the people we love most that we tend to hurt the most. So when we're in partnership, 
like along with being this person who like the person across from us genuinely loves, we also get to be the source of this person's, you know, unconscious projections around all the places they've been hurt in the past. So, so often when we feel hurt by our partner, it's not that they're consciously trying to hurt us. It's just something has happened in our dynamic that's triggered something from the past that has yet to be healed and alchemized. So if we are able to really connect into that deeper place with our partner, where we really know like we're in doing this work together and while not unnecessarily taking abuse, how do we create a space where we cannot take things personally enough to allow things a space to slow down and really explore what's going on? Well, I think one of the ways that we can get there is we have to look at when we take things personally, what's it bringing up for us? What, and this goes back to the noticing. Because mm-hmm. generally speaking, I find when we're taking things on that deep level personally, it tends to be because there's a deep resonance to something that isn't fully healed within ourselves. Mm, yeah. It, one, requires a lot of humility because we're so conditioned in our American culture to value being right over being connected. And it also requires a lot of self-love and compassion. I think this is a beautiful place for us to kind of pause and just let this conversation sink in because this is exactly what it requires. It requires this love and this compassion for each other, for ourselves. We learn sometimes how to love and how to hold that compassion in the context of relationship. For some, it's hard to know how to do this in general. And I'm not sure that I totally buy into the fact that we have to love ourselves before we could be in relationships. I think some of us need to learn as we go. Mm, Yeah, it makes me think of one of my teachers. Her name's Nicole Daydone. And she once said, or probably not once, but many times said, you don't need to be flexible to do yoga. And what she means by this is like, we don't go to yoga because we're flexible. We go to yoga to become flexible. So similarly with that statement of like, a lot of people say, it's like, oh, I want to love myself first before I get into relationship. Yet often it is only through the practice of relating that we can learn how to truly cultivate self-love and compassion as we come head to head with our own messy and imperfect humanity. Yes. Thank you so much for being with us today, Ariel. Mm, You're welcome. This is a really rich and beautiful conversation. I really appreciate your questions and your demeanor and your energy. I can feel that you hold a really exquisite space for your clients. Thank you. And I feel the same way about you. Can you you. let our listeners know where they can find you? Yes. Also uh, include any links in our show notes. Yes, 100%. So you can visit my website at www.ariellebrown.com. And also a great way for you to really get a sense of the conversations that I'm having and the work that I'm doing is you can follow my Facebook profile, which I'm happy to include in the show notes for you. But it's a great way to explore the conversation. I have a private women's Facebook group as well. So you're welcome to reach out about that or private coaching. Thank you. Mm, Thank you. Yeah. We recorded this episode quite a while back, so we didn't mention that 
Ariel is opening a six-week virtual course for women on reclaiming the purity of their desire. The course begins August 15th, 2018, and it's called Appetite. There's a link in our show notes to learn more. And our Wild Women discussion groups continue to meet online through September 2018. We're journeying together in remembering who we are, what we're made of, and why we're here. Learn more in the show notes or by going to practiceofbeingseen.com slash wildwoman. And if you'd like to learn more about my relationship therapy practice or intensive couples retreats here in New York, go to connectfulness.com. As always, we invite you to join us on social media at Pobscast or drop me a line at practiceofbeingseen at gmail.com. The Practice of Being Seen podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, along with the amazing behind-the-scenes support of Christy Hausler. Music by Chris Ferris Jr. and Sr. Produced by Kidney Stone Studio. I hope that you enjoyed the show, and you'll join us next week for another episode of The Pobscast, brought to you by Connectfulness. <laughs>